Thank you, Brother Gary. Would you bow your heads with me, please, for prayer? Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us. We are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Father, as the people of God gathered in this place, called by the name First Baptist Belton, we express our thanksgiving, our gratitude to you this morning for all of the blessings that you have poured out upon us. We are grateful for every blessing of life. We're grateful for Jesus, our precious Savior and Lord, who died on the cross that our sin might be forgiven, who arose from the grave in triumph over death, that we might have eternal life. One day we will see you face to face. And in that great day, we will express from the depths of our hearts our love and our adoration for you. And that is exactly what we do this morning in this place. We express our love, our adoration, our gratitude and thanksgiving to you. You are so gracious. You are so good. I pray that you will speak to our hearts this morning. Draw us to yourself. Someone here needs Jesus. May the Spirit of God speak to the heart of that one or those several. Draw them irresistibly to yourself this morning. And I pray, Father, for those who are here with difficulties in life besetting them, I pray that in you today they will find rest, refuge, strength, and encouragement. And I pray that we as brothers and sisters in Christ will encourage one another on this great day of worship together. We love you, we adore you, and we ask now that you speak to our hearts. In Christ's name I pray, amen. I want to thank you for last Sunday. What an astonishing and incredible day as you honored Sharon and myself in our 30th anniversary as pastor of this great church and... um, Everything that happened was a surprise. Uh, we, did, we did find out Saturday night that Jimmy Draper was preaching. And we found that out because staff had arranged for Sharon and I to go to dinner. And I thought it was just she and I. And we arrived at the restaurant and there was Jimmy and Carol Ann. And what a great surprise that was for us. Everything else, we didn't have a clue until Sunday morning. So thank you for Sunday morning, for the reception Sunday afternoon. I've been in Georgia this week with my sister who had surgery. She's doing well. And so I'm way behind on writing thank you notes, but I will do it. I will get to it this week. And, of course, no way I can write everybody, but thank you so much for everything that that you did to make that such a special day for our entire family. Then I have an announcement to make this morning, and that is that two weeks from today, on December the 2nd, 
We are going to roll out or reveal uh, the plans as they stand now for the hilltop. You'll see a video in the morning worship service that will just give you a little snapshot of the way things are at this moment. And then we will have informational meetings, uh, four of them scheduled at this point on Sunday afternoons, the 2nd and 9th of December. And then uh, the two Wednesdays, which would be what the uh, 5th and the 12th of December, Wednesday evenings, we'll have four informational meetings where you can come and ask questions and uh, look at things. And then on the 16th of December, Sunday evening, we'll have a business conference in which we will vote on affirming the uh, design, the cost, and moving forward after which we anticipate groundbreaking to be in the early part of the summer or perhaps even late spring of next year. So exciting days, just an announcement for you to put that on your calendar, do everything possible to not miss on Sunday, December the 2nd. Well, today we continue our our series on what every Christian should know. We began by talking about, are you a Christian for certain? And we've talked about what every Christian should know about the Bible, about God, uh, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about prayer, about the church, about missions, about baptism, about the Lord's Supper, about grace, about worship. And I probably left out one or two today. We're going to focus on this, what every Christian should know about temptation. So I want you to stand with me. And we're going to read from Matthew's Gospel, the fourth chapter. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. And then after that, we will read one verse from 1 Corinthians, that is the 10th chapter and the 13th verse of 1 Corinthians. So Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Then 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind and God is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear but when you are tempted 
He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You may be seated. What every Christian should know about temptation. Have, uh, have you been tempted this morning? I mean, this is the Lord's day. This is Sunday. This is go to church day. Okay, it is. But have you been tempted this morning? Uh, some of you may have been tempted to uh, roll over and go back to sleep and not come to church today. I mean, it's cold and damp and dark. So maybe you were uh, tempted to not get up at all. And it's not hard to justify that feeling. Lord, I'm so tired. Lord, this week, that week, you know, I need my rest, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there are a lot of good reasons for not being at church. Like, um, like, um, oh, I'm sick. Yeah, that's a good one. Don't come if you're sick. We don't want it. Whatever it is you got. Uh, I'm out of town. Can't, but well, still could go to church. Just not this one. Um, you know, I know there's some other good reasons, but they're not many, but maybe you were tempted this morning, but praise God, you got up and you came. Some of you may have been tempted to pinch one of your children's head off because of their behavior this morning. Or, hey guys, did any of you sit in the driveway this morning and you were tempted to blow the horn because your wife hadn't come out of the house yet and it was... If you succumb to that temptation, I hope you enjoy lunch today. Maybe you were listening to the news and you were tempted to get really angry at somebody. There's sure a lot of that going around today. And probably watching the news on Sunday morning is not the best way to prepare your heart for worship. Maybe something else darker than any of the things that I mentioned tempted you this morning. Temptation's real, isn't it? We know that. So that's what we're going to talk about today. What every Christian should know about temptation. And so the first thing every Christian ought to know about temptation is this. The devil is real. The devil is real. Uh, He is at the heart of evil and the temptation that we face. He is real. He's not a caricature. He is, um, he's not a cartoon figure. He is not a figment of man's imagination. Jesus knew that he was real. We read about it this morning. The Bible says the devil is real. That's good enough for me. The devil is real. We likely don't see him as he really looks. He disguises himself as something desirable. Otherwise, we would be repulsed by him. And we would stay away from him. And anything that he brings into our lives as temptation would repulse us. I want to say these things about the devil. He's real, but he is not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere all at the same time. He is not equal to God. In the book of James, in the first chapter, verses 13 and 14, James says, When tempted, 
No one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So the scripture tells us that the devil cannot be blamed for every sin that you do. We're responsible. We are responsible. This is a day in which people say, oh, I'm not responsible. Somebody is, but not me. But we can't say that in regard to sin. We're responsible. But the devil is real, no doubt about it. And he hates you. And he is your adversary. And he despises the Christian. And he wants to lead you to sin and mediocrity. He wants to try to destroy the best that God intends for you. Peter says he's like a roaring lion prowling about, seeking whom he may devour. But the scripture tells us, again, in James specifically, that the devil can be resisted. Resist the devil, James says, and he will flee from you. I want to read that whole verse. If you're making notes, it's James 4, 7. And here's what it says. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Often we leave out the first part of the verse and we only say the second. But don't forget the first part of the verse. And the first part of the verse reminds us, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So he's real, but he can be resisted. So the first thing we want to know about temptation is that the devil is real. The second thing we want to know is that sin is bad. Now, you may be saying, Pastor, we know that sin's bad. You don't, don't waste time there. We want to get out on time. Go on to number three. What is number three? Sin is bad. Uh, not so fast, my friend. We live in a day in which we need to be reminded Sin is sin and sin is bad. You know the world in which we live. A denial of things that have been considered sin for generations that scripturally are specified as sin are now being said, oh, that's not sin. We've moved beyond that. We have matured in our worldview and so things that have been thought to be sin for generations well now we've gotten beyond that so it is a day in which we need to be reminded sin is bad it's not a minor thing it's not simply a mistake if you want to know about sin look at the cross that is why Jesus died for your sin and mine. Now, sin is anything that is contrary to God's word, to God's plan, to God's will. 
The literal meaning of the word sin is to miss the mark. It's like you're shooting at a target and you miss the target. You miss the mark. That's the literal definition for sin. In our context, anything that's contrary to God's will, God's desire, God's word. And it's always bad. It's never good. And Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Wages of sin is death. Sin dirties your soul. It affects your thoughts. In fact, it will dominate your thoughts. It will injure your testimony. It will injure the name of Christ in the eyes of those who are lost. It will affect your family. It will affect your church. It will depress your spirit. But praise the Lord, the Bible says, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. And then in the verse that I quoted partially a moment ago, Romans six twenty three, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise God for what the Bible tells us. Sin is bad. The devil is real. Those are two things that we need to know about temptation. The third thing that we need to know about temptation is temptation is deception. Temptation is deception. Satan tried to use scripture with the son of God, with Jesus. He twisted scripture in order to lure Jesus to sin in his fatigued physically weakened condition from having fasted for 40 days and 40 nights the adversary moves in and twists scripture in order to try to lure jesus to sin knowing if jesus sins he then cannot save you and me and so satan twists scripture and just be aware that he will try to pervert anything that he can in order to lure you into sin, to make that temptation look so good and so helpful, so inviting. And, and well, after all, everybody's doing it. And how could so many people be so wrong in their sin or in their view of sin? He is very deceptive and he will seek to lead you to think that sin is not really sin and that is part of the essence of 2018 to lead us to think that sin is not really sin i mean after all come on times have changed culture has matured we've moved beyond a lot of the old thinking that's what satan will say to you and, and then tolerance is the key word. We want to be a tolerant people because heaven knows we don't want anyone to call us intolerant. I mean, what could be worse than that in the day in which we live? So tolerance is the word and we should be tolerant of everything. Uh, oh, oh, except for biblical Christianity. We, we don't want to be tolerant of that. But everything else, yeah, okay. Temptation 
looks good or we would be repulsed immediately temptation is deception no satan is real the devil is real sin is bad temptation is deception but but the 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 fourth thing we want to know about temptation is this temptation comes to all you know is there anybody out there who couldn't have preached this sermon for me today i mean i haven't said anything that you didn't know and i don't as i think about it um, yeah i don't think i'm going to say anything that most of you don't already know but i am saying some things that most of us need to be reminded of temptation comes to all it's common to man first Corinthians 10, 13 says it happened to Jesus. We just read about it. And in Hebrews chapter four, verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. You're not odd by being tempted. It's not a sign of weakness to be tempted. If it were a sign of weakness to be tempted, then Jesus is weak. And we know that he wasn't. You have been tempted and you will be tempted. And we understand that. We know it by experience. And believe me, as long as you have breath, as long as your brain is functioning, as long as your heart and your soul are alive within you, you're going to be tempted. It's just going to happen. So that leads to the fifth thing that we need to know about temptation. That says temptation is not sin. Hear me well. Temptation is not sin. If it was, Jesus would have been a sinner. And he wasn't. Temptation is sometimes overt, sometimes subtle, but it is not sin until you say Yes. And when you say yes, then temptation has become sin. We live in a day of blaming others, but please know it's not allowed with sin. You and I are responsible when temptation becomes sin. Portia Nelson wrote a little book called An Autobiography in Five Short Chapters. So I want you to settle in and get relaxed because I'm going to read all five chapters to you. So here we go. Are you, re- are you just relaxed? You don't have to write this down. Here we go. Chapter one. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. It's, it isn't my fault. It takes me forever to find a way out. Chapter two. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. But it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. It's my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5. I walk down another street. (laughs) There's a lot of truth in that 
cute little five-chapter autobiography, walk down another street. How often do we over and over and over and over and over and over again put ourselves in the same old place, exposed to the same old temptation, and find ourselves falling in again and again and again? Walk down another street. Martin Luther, one of the greatest theologians in Christian history, was never more profound than when he said this in regard to temptation and sin. You cannot keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from building a nest in your hair. Luther, you are so deep and profound. Amazing. But what powerful truth. No, I can't keep birds from flying over my head, but if one lights, well, he's not going to light over my head. (laughs) There's not enough there to build a nest. But some of you can't keep him from flying over my head, but I can keep him from building a nest in my hair. There is a Danish uh, proverb that says, no one can be caught in a place he does not visit. And then Will Foley wrote, the world is full of cactus, but we don't have to sit on it. And so temptation itself is not sin. Now, lastly, this is the last thing. Temptation can be defeated. Praise God. Temptation can be defeated. Jesus used scripture. So can we. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that with every temptation, there is a way of escape. It is not hidden. It is in plain sight. It is not an escape room. And it is not a puzzle. It is in plain sight. God makes it obvious to us. And you know that. And I know that. When I review, I don't want to do that, but when I review the sin in my life, There has never been a time when I can say I had no way out. I couldn't help it. There's always been a way of escape. And it's always been obvious. And I just chose not to take it. Temptation can be defeated. So let's be proactive. Be proactive in eight ways. First of all, be proactive by saturating your life in Scripture. Read and understand and know the Scripture so that when you face temptation, you can respond as Jesus responded with Scripture. The second proactive step is to spend time every day in prayer, communicate with the Heavenly Father and ask for His help and His strength and His power. Number three proactive step is called the church fellowship with one another with brothers and sisters in Christ in the place called the church learn from one another and be accountable to one another the fourth proactive step is friendship choose wisely I heard a youth minister say one time show me your friends And I will show you your future. Choose your friends wisely. Fifth proactive step, guard your eyes. 
What are you exposing your heart to by what you look at through the eyes? Sixth proactive step, guard your ears. What are you listening to? Lots of gossip, lots of jokes that don't honor God. Music that is highly suspect. Guard your ears. Number seven proactive step, guard your feet. That is, be careful where you go. Be careful where you go. And number eight proactive step is rearrange your habits. If your habits continually expose you to temptation, to sin that is powerful and strong, rearrange your habits. Now, there's also a way to be reactive when that temptation comes. And with this, I'll close. Number one reactive step is to stand firm. Don't wilt under the pressure. Stand firm. Second reactive step is run if necessary. So stand firm, but sometimes you just need to pick them up and put them down and get out of there. Run. And I mean that literally. Run if necessary. Third reactive step is to reach up to God. God, here it comes. Help me. And he will. He'll help you find the way of escape. He'll make it obvious. Reactive step number four, look around for that escape path. It's there. How do I know it's there? Because the scripture said it's there. And the scripture never lies. It's always there. G.H. Charnley wrote a little book called The Skylark's Bargain. It was the story of a young skylark who discovered one day an old man who would give him worms for a feather. So he made a deal, one feather for two worms. The next day, the lark was flying high in the sky with his father. The older bird said, you know, son, we skylarks should be the happiest of all birds. See our brave wings? They lift us high in the air, nearer and nearer to God. But the young bird did not hear, for all he saw was an old man with worms. Down he flew, plucked a feather from his wings, and had a feast. Day after day, this went on. Autumn came, and it was time to fly south, but the young skylark couldn't do it. He had exchanged the power of his young wings for worms. And that's our constant temptation in life, to exchange wings for worms. But we know Jesus is better. And so the question for you and for me today is, what will you do? What will you do? What every Christian needs to know about temptation. Remember, victory is at hand. Let's bow our heads for prayer. In a moment, Brother Gary will lead us in the singing of our invitation hymn. The invitation to the heart of the one in this room today who has not yet trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord. And the Spirit of God is speaking, wooing, calling, drawing you to the Savior. And so in a moment when we stand and begin to sing, 
Will you leave your seat? Come to where I am at the front, place your hand in mine and say very simply, Pastor, I need Jesus. And remember, our staff will be here to pray with you, to open God's word, to share with you how you can enter into a personal saving relationship with Jesus today. For those who are already believers, and that would be the vast majority of us in this room in regard to temptation, what is the Spirit saying to you this morning? You, you hear him. Whatever it is he's saying, will you now act in obedience? And so, Father, we hear each of us individually what you're saying to us. I pray that we will act in obedience. And I pray now that someone this morning will come to know your son Jesus as Savior and Lord. In his name I pray. Amen. God speaks to your heart. You come as we stand and sing.